So today's message, let me tell you this, it's a two-parter at least. So when you think that we're nearing the end, we're not, so it's okay. But I've entitled today's message, Waiting That Makes a World of Difference. How many of you like to wait? You love it? Love it. Love it. Can I tell you how great a guy I am? Oh, thanks, Ronnie. Okay. So, so about a week or so ago, I called my son and I said, son, what would you like for dinner? I was in town and, I, and uh, he, he wanted Whataburger. Now, we all, <coughs> excuse me, I get choked up when I talk about Whataburger. We, we all can agree Whataburger is the burger of Texas. Uh, and it's, it's glorious. It's a glorious experience. Uh, but I can also say this, and you can fist fight me if you want. Uh, waiting for that experience in Greenville is ridiculous. And so I'm committed because I love my son. So I go to the local and uh, get in line and wait and wait <laughs> and wait some more. I think I had a birthday and an anniversary. And finally, I decided that's enough waiting. And because I love my son, I drove to Royce City. That's true. It's a true story. And I waited. And then, you know, I'm battling in myself, Lord, I've driven two, to two towns for this stupid burger. And I waited. And then it's like, well, I've waited this long. Uh, he did. He did. Now, he doesn't know this, so don't tell him. So he did get his water burger. Oh, man. But that waiting didn't make a world of difference. But waiting can make a world of difference. There's not a one of us that enjoys waiting. That word sets us off in varying degrees. So what do you hear when you hear the word wait, and how does it make you feel? I just told you. Can I just say this? I can because I have the microphone back after three weeks. Listen, fast food has really lost its fastness. Anybody else? I'm like, man, I could have cooked this. Anyway, <laughs> Tom Petty says waiting is the hardest part. Every day you get one more yard. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart because the waiting is the hardest part. There you go. Waiting is particularly synonymous with doing nothing besides just sitting fidgeting with your phones. Now, waiting's easier today. You know why? Because you're like, Now, let me tell you this. I'm either fidgeting on my phone or I'm staring at you. Anybody else people watchers? Oh, yeah. I love to watch, and I, I try to think to myself, what are they thinking? And it's such a fun thing. I even make up voices for them. You know, it's hilarious. <laughs> but, but when we think of waiting, we think of just idleness, not, no activity. Well, that is not biblical waiting. Biblical waiting is not a passive activity. Uh, it is... It is a dependence. It's, it's, a, it's the expression of the dependence upon God. Waiting on God is a spiritual discipline that we should seek to have in our lives. Listen, waiting on God, guess what? It's hard. It's hard. I'm just going to tell you right up front. You don't have to listen to anything else that I'm about to tell you. But waiting on the Lord is hard. But 
It's worth it. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. Why, Charles? It tries faith. Wait a minute. I don't like my faith to be tried, Charles. It tries your faith. Faith exercises patience. There's only one way to get it in there, boys and girls. You don't order patience from Amazon. You earn that booger. Trains submission and endears the blessing when it comes. The longer you wait, the greater that answer is. Amen? Amen. Charles Spurgeon says the waiting has its own value. Now, if we're not careful, we don't see that value or we don't value that value or we'll even argue that value. So today, we're going to talk about the waiting that makes a world of difference, ways we are to wait on the Lord. The ways we are wait, to wait on the Lord, number one, acknowledge that God is sovereign. Let's say that word together, sovereign. Okay, let's all say it like together, sovereign. How many of you have ever said that phrase, God's sovereign? Don't be afraid, put that hand up. You're at home, it's a safe place. We use that phrase, and that phrase is true. Now, the question is, is do we actually know and understand what that phrase means? Because to say that phrase and to believe it is deep water faith, brothers and sisters. We can, we can throw it out there flippantly, but we're going to talk about what that is. In order to get good on waiting, we first need to acknowledge that God is sovereign and nothing we are presently experience is outside his eternal decree or direct oversight. You see, the challenge that we face is not everything going on do we necessarily like or is good. Amen? So for us to say and believe that God is sovereign means what we're experiencing is inside his eternal decree and oversight. That gets a little hard because we may not agree with everything that's going on. And it starts to... So, let's start with some free stuff. Ronnie, I knew you'd like this. What does the phrase God is sovereign really mean? In the dictionary, you find words like superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, independent of all others. I like to say simply this, God's in control. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's true. And uh, God is in control. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that happens in the universe that is outside God's influence and authority. As King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Lord of Lords, God has no limitations. No limitations. Say that with me. No limitations. He is sovereign. God is above all things, before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is immortal, and he is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. Now, I've wrestled with this a great deal because this is, this is a big enchilada. Let me try to give you something that I think has helped me. So if you can imagine, here's God. And the greatest telescope we have hung in space right now is looking back in history toward, uh, at the beginning of everything we know, and uh, it's billions of years old. So here's God. 
He is, the, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. He is. He is. Right? So there's history. There's his story. His story doesn't have a beginning and his story doesn't have an end. And then there's us. We have history. Do you know what history is? Anything yesterday is history. Right? Tomorrow is a hope, today is today, yesterday is history. Our history runs parallel like train tracks to God's, his story. Now the problem that we wrestle with is this, is his story doesn't have a beginning or an end. But our history does. There's the beginning of us and there's the end of us as far as humanly speaking. And in light of his story, our history is... But we want to measure his story by our history. That's the challenge that we face. God is working from a perspective of being everywhere all the time. God is working from a perspective of knowing everything that was, is, and will be at the same time. We have a reasonable understanding of what was. We have a hopeful understanding of what is. And we have no clue of what will be. Amen? We sit on New Year's and we go, man, it's been a good year. It's been ups and downs and all arounds. What's New Year? I don't know. Is it going to be good? I don't know. You guys remember a little thing called the virus? Do you remember how we rocked right into that, wor- that year and we're like, woo, we're going to kill this? March, oh, man. And for the next two years, not a thing was normal. Didn't see it coming, but God was already there. Why? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. His story doesn't have a beginning and an end. Ours does. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we look at it through the, the lens of our history but we have to try to understand it in the lens of his story. God created all things and holds all things together, but in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Everything that you know and everything that you do not know, God created. Are there things that you do not know? Oh, yeah. Will the cowboys win? Well, I don't know. We don't know. Does God know? He does. Does God care? Not one lick. God doesn't care. He knows what you're going to have for lunch. Does he care? Not so much. I'm going to have that donut in that bag that my wife brought me. It's going to be glorious. God, easy. See? See, you know the devil comes to church. (laughs) God knows all things, past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge. For God knows everything completely before it even happens. God is in control of all things and rules over all things. He has the power and the authority over nature, earthly kings. What does that mean? He has authority over Democrats and Republicans. Fifteen votes. What's going on? God knew. Angels and demons, even Satan himself has to ask for God's permission before he acts. Ecclesiastes tells us this, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. That's easy, isn't it? 
Man, when things are good, woohoo! But when times are bad, consider this God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Listen, we should celebrate when, when things are good. And you know what? We can celebrate even when things are bad. Does God make things crooked? Sometimes ask the children of Israel. Does God put judgment upon people? Sometimes. Does God take his hands off of people? Sometimes. Sometimes God makes things crooked. Now it's starting to not get fun again, isn't it? We were having fun. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Show what is formed, say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Does the pot ever tell the potter what gives you the right? No. We are created by the Lord. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves asking the creator, what gives you the right to create me the way that you made me? Now, I could spend a whole lot longer time unpacking that one, but I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. Yes, even our present predicament is of the Lord. So the question we want to try to answer when life is a little bit crooked, is it cause or knowledge? The question humanity asks is this, is when life goes completely sideways, did God cause it? He can. But I would say to you this, more often than not, he does not cause it. We do. We are the cause of most of our own calamity. Either us or other people's calamity. Does God cause most of the strife, anxiety, and worry in the world? No. No, I can do that myself. If I don't take care of my automobile, it's not going to take care of me. If I never buy tires or rotate the tires or keep air in the tires and my tire blows out on the highway, who am I to blame God? God, why'd you blow out my tire? If I'm God, I'm going, no, you knucklehead. You should take care of those. I seized up an engine one time, and my dad goes, when's the last time you checked the oil? And I said, check the oil? Well, God did that. No, you know, God didn't seize up my engine. Does God cause these things? Not always. Sometimes, but not always. Does he have a knowledge of them? Yes, he does. Yes. Just because he has a knowledge of it doesn't mean he caused it. Okay? Have you ever had one of your kids try to blame you for one of their choices? Well, you, you made me this way. Oh, no, I didn't. Nope, nope. No, guess what? You're 47 years old. Grow up. We cannot straighten what God has made crooked. Sometimes, guess what? We just got to wait on the Lord. The Lord's got to straighten some stuff out. Wednesday night we were talking about one of the most famous Bible passages is this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper you. you you've heard this, right? It comes up in your devotionals. You're like, oh, feels, yeah. God sent that to the man of God, to the people of God, who were in bondage in Babylon, who put them in bondage? The Father. Why? Because they were sinners. 
And he says, love me with everything you've got. Live your best life while you're there. And oh, by the way, pray for the prosperity of the town in which you are living. Because as they prosper, you prosper. When I wait a minute, that doesn't fit my theology one iota. God doesn't care about our theology. As much as we may want to fix a problem, we first have to wait upon the Lord by acknowledging he is sovereign and the sovereign purpose in it. See, the thing that you and I cannot do in all things is the value added. Teachable moments, right? When you ever, you ever do that, something happens, well, it's a teachable moment. You can't always teach somebody because they don't always want to learn. The great thing about the Lord is this, is whether he made it crooked or not, he promises you a value added. Well, what is that, Jimmy? Great question, y'all. Romans 8 says this, and we know that in all things God works for good. Are all things good? No. All you got to do is open up your news app, and you know that's true. But God works for good through all things for those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. Listen, I was going to show you the picture today, but I couldn't find it, of them trying to tear open the car door. They're trying to get my broken, bloodied carcass out of it after my mother died a drunk driver. Now, I wanted to show you that because that passage right there is true. God didn't cause the crookedness that night. But I'm going to tell you this. God has done great things through that crookedness. Do I want that? No. Would I ask for that? No. Did God do great things through it? Yes, he has. Way number two, we got to hurry up. Oh, yeah, we, we got to hurry up. Come to terms with our dependence upon God. We don't like that word dependence. Ladies, I've never spent a day as a lady, but we dudes, man, we hear that word dependence and it just makes. <clears throat> Am I right, guys? Dependence? Yeah, look, look at. Yeah, just agreeing that I'm saying the word dependence makes us cringe. Interlinked with the doctrine of God's sovereignty is the co-reality of our complete dependence upon him in all things. Tell me one thing in your life that God didn't create. You can't. Tell me one thing that you may need that God can't give you. You can't. Well, except those donuts. Tell me one thing. Listen, God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. It is natural for us to want to be individualists. And to be, to have, excuse me, hold on, talk amongst yourself. To have that is important. However, we are all dependent upon God for everything, including, including our next heartbeat. Is there anyone in here that doesn't know who this man is? I've given you his name, so no one can answer yes. You know, this is, this is DeMar. Now, you may not know the whole story, but you've probably heard the name. Monday night, there was a football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And on this play, a play that is very normal, 
a very un... This play did not make any grown man watching it go, oh! We, you know those kind of plays, right? Yeah. Do, do I have any ladies that are that way? Anybody? I mean, where they get cracked, you're like, oh! Okay. This was not one of those. This is one of those plays where you go, okay, next. But this play was different. They connected. This is, this is the young man right here making the tackle. And then the two of them stood up, and then number three fell down. Now, what America didn't know at that moment was that the heart of number three had stopped. He was he was dead. You could see everyone looking around. They're like, well, well, I mean, you know, is it a concussion? Is it a shoulder? Whatever. I mean, if you play football, injuries occur. They're, they're used to seeing injuries. It's a part of the game. And they look over and they're like, well, okay, this will be taken care of. And then they come out and they start working on him. And, and you can see they gather around like they do. You know, oh, man, what is this? You know, they're thinking, well, you know, and maybe they're a little squeamish, you know. I mean, if you've ever seen someone's foot pointing that way, it's like when I went to see my bride after she broke her wrist. I walked into the emergency room. She goes, I think, I think my, I hurt my wrist. And I said, well, let me see. And she showed me. And her wrist goes, Ur-ur-ur. and I'm like, oh, baby. <laughs> I think she said, I think I might need surgery. I said, oh, babe, it's not if, it's just when. But all of America and his teammates were like, okay, well, you know, we see injuries and okay. But this one was different. I was listening to an interview with Troy Aikman. He was on the, the broadcast that night. And they have the camera that runs across. It's called the, the sky, eye in the sky. And that camera was directly over this young man as he laid on the field. And Troy Aikman said that they were able to watch the events unfold. It wasn't being fed to the national audience, but they could see it. And that the the people working on this young man were aggressive. And we have people in here who work on people in these states and aggressive. Is that a, Alan, is that a fair word? Aggressive? And if you've ever had to be around this, which I have, aggressive isn't enough of the word. It, I would almost say nearly violent by the time you, you get to the process. Now, one of the things that I, I do want to touch on just a moment is this. When the sporting world realized that this was something different than what they were accustomed to, when they had stripped this guy down and they were working his chest for 20 minutes just to get a beat back, to get in the box, they realized this is something different. They realized this is a matter of life or death the tone changed because if a guy breaks his ankle and they're carting him off he gives this and guess what we go do football more this was different why this is a matter of life and death and this is what I want to say to you I don't care what the world says when it gets down to the getting down people start praying. You know why? Because the fingerprint of God is on the soul of every human being. 
And when there's nowhere left to go, even the uneducated, the unlearned, and the unwanted turn to God. Every person who knelt on that field that night in prayer were not Christians. But they knew they needed something more. They needed someone more. And this week, our nation, on many different levels, has turned their attention towards a spiritual inclination. Why? Because a young man was just going through his day-to-day life. And anyone who watched that game or watched the replays of the game saw a man stand up alive and fall down dead. And we're all reminded we're just one heartbeat away. Now, what's interesting is this young man, he he was quoted as saying during his time at Pitt University, and it says this, My faith is in God, so whatever he planned for me, that'll be it. You know, you can write that check, can't you? Until you fall down dead. You know, we have to be careful about the checks that we write with our mouths. Because one day, God may just want to cash it. This young man was exercising his trust in the Lord Leaning not on his own understanding. Now, I could promise you when he said that, it never crossed his mind that one night on a Monday night on a national football game, I'm going to stand up, then I'm going to fall down dead. He didn't think that. You know why? Because when you're his age and you're in his shape, you don't think about dying. Now, when you're in my age and my shape, you think about it. But he wasn't. At his age, he's bulletproof. Brothers and sisters, hear my words. If you're breathing, you're not bulletproof. Now, when Damar woke up, the first thing he asked the doctor was, did we win? And the doctor said, you've won. You've won what? The game of life. Why? Because life is always more important than any game made of, by man. Life is the ultimate gift in our world. And just a few days ago, as a matter of fact, yesterday, he not only is off of any sort of life support, but he was able to Skype in with his teammates. The doctor says they expect he will make a full and total recovery. Praise God. Now, did God work through hands of people and technology of man? He sure did. But only God gives the heart back. And this man has a story. Now, I don't know what the rest of his career is going to be like. There was a hockey player that took a hockey puck to the chest some years ago, and it dropped him dead on the ice, just like this young man. They resuscitated him, he recovered, and he played hockey for eight more years. <clears throat> the ways we wait on the Lord, number three, we've got to hurry. Seek spiritual strength from the Lord. <clears throat> Our helplessness becomes especially obvious during times of calamity. In God alone do we find strength to tread through life's troubled waters. Has there been at least once in your life where you're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to make this. If you haven't been there, that means you're headed towards it. Sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You you younger people, you may not have been there yet. There will be a day. Sometimes you get pushed off in the deep end of the pool of life and whew. And just like those guys on that field, they realized that they needed someone more 
and it's okay. They say you'll never find an atheist in foxholes or prison cells. Well, you don't find them in ERs very often either, but it's okay. The beautiful thing is it's not that when you look to God, it's that you look to God. In the Psalms, we find requests of God for help and notice the relationship between waiting for God and finding strength. Psalms 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Your strength is in the waiting, amen? Be strong and let your heart take courage, courage, all of you who wait on the Lord. Our soul waits on the Lord, he is our help and our shield. Here's one of the most famous verses, 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I got to thinking about this, and this is just me thinking, and I'm going to give it to you because it's free. Could it be that my wants are directly associated to my waiting? If I waited more, I'd want less. If we waited more, would we want less? I don't know. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Isn't it nice sometimes just to lay down and take a nap? Now, there's mom of three very energetic kids. What what does a nap mean to you? Huh? Oh, see, she didn't even... That's how she's conditioned. I said nap. She said, oh, the kids are napping. Yeah, oh, you mean a nap for me? I don't know what that is. I don't know. (laughs) Isn't it, man, I mean, if I waited more, maybe I'd want less. If I wanted less, maybe I could rest more. We do not suffer from a lack of anything that we truly need because we have the good shepherd. We can rest secure in Christ for our most essential need. What is our most essential need? It's not your political stripe in the White House. It's not fill in the blank. Our most critical need is that we would have a relationship with who? The creator, God. That's our most critical need because that need will have direct association to where we spend eternity. That need will have a direct association with the quality and quantity of our lives. Will you live longer if you're following God? I don't know. Will you make better choices? I can tell you this. There was before Christ choices and after Jesus choices. I make better choices now. Is the quality of life better? Oh, please. Number four. Julius Caesar says it's easier to find a man who will volunteer to die than to find those who are willing to endure pain with patience. There ain't a single one of us that enjoys pain, emotional, physical, or otherwise. But sometimes life has a little pain associated to it. Now, I'm at the whopping age of 57, and if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd taken better care. I have to wake up in parts. If something isn't hurting on me, then I'm asleep. 
But I also have to remind myself that not everyone gets the privilege of growing older. And there's just a price to pay to that. And the prayer that you pray is this, Lord, just let, let me walk in it. A year ago, last July, I had a hip replacement. And the year before that hip replacement, well, let me just say, <laughs> it wasn't Christmas every day. And I prayed and I said, Lord, if this is, if this is my life, then let me walk with dignity and grace. If I'm going to drag this leg for the rest of my life, let me do it in a way that will glorify you. It wasn't God's will. God says, ah, let's just put some metal in it. But it was my prayer that God would put more strength in me than I had discomfort on me. Brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we need to adjust our prayer life. Instead of always asking God to get us out from under it, what if we prayed that God would just give us strength in it? Because it's in carrying that that sometimes other people see Christ in us. It's in carrying that that we learn to be strong. Being patient and quiet. Even though we may live out the American spirit of busy industriousness, it's good for us to stop and sit still for just a moment. Do you know, sometimes just being still and quiet with the Lord is glorifying. When was the last time? You know, I, I, I try to encourage you guys, take five, just five minutes. When was the last time? No podcast, no radio, just you and the Lord. Just maybe you're in a devotional. When was the last time? Now, as a, as a person who has three opinions on everything, the quiet part's a challenge for me. Patience, well, I'm better than I used to be. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The salvation, well, I don't know. You know. What, what are you waiting on the Lord to be your savior in for God alone oh my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him silence means sometimes that we're not talking to him silence may be that we're not talking about it to other people sometimes being quiet is good I wait for the Lord my soul waits and in his word I hope what word I will never leave you or forsake you. The promises of Scripture, all of those. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman. More than the watchman for the morning. So let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you're awake in those terrible hours of the deep night? That's usually anything after 12 and before, say, 7 o'clock. If you're up during that time, you're either traveling or something not good. Isn't that true? Not mo now, some of you guys might be night owls. That's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But for most of us normal people, 
if, if you are up at 2.30 in the morning, it's no bueno. And if you're sitting in that hospital room or if you're holding that little one who's got just enough temperature but not enough maybe to take him to the ER, you see, that watchman waits for the morning. You know why? Because working that third shift is tough. My first shift at the juvenile probation detention center, I worked midnight to 8, Saturday night to Sunday morning. And there's something about being awake and working when everyone else is asleep. It's just not right. And that, white, that, that night, late night watchman, he's waiting for the sunrise to come up. Why? Well, one, he gets to rest. Two, he can see his enemies instead of them hiding in the dark. Three, everything looks better in the daylight. And four, his mind can't create the unknown things that he cannot see in the dark. The scripture says when we wait on the Lord, we're like that watchman waiting for the sun, the S-O-N, to rise in our lives. Amen? I love this picture. There's something about standing next to the ocean that makes you feel really small. The ocean is a powerful thing. The ocean makes you feel small, and the ocean has mystery to it. Do you realize we know more about outer space than we know about the deep ocean? We've spent more time, more money, and sent more people up there than we have down there. We don't know what's down there, and yet you want to go swim in it. This picture, I imagine, staying on the beach, feeling really small, looking into the storm clouds as the sun pierces the darkness of the night. And it reminds you that, okay, I can see what needs to be seen. And what I thought was there that's not has been dismissed. And the sun has arrived. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Remember when we were talking about his story versus our history? Brothers and sisters, our history isn't that long. And the troubles inside that history, now I know a day seems like a thousand years to us. But our struggle, it won't be long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The more we realize that this present struggle is but a vapor, the scripture says. Just a, a flower that blooms and withers. But what we are learning in the process, if this present trouble drives us to the foot of the cross and we see Jesus for who he really is and we see ourselves in light of who he is and it causes us to cry out to him to save us from our sins and we become born again, child of the king, my friends, the trouble is worth the journey. If the present troubles are enough to keep us humble, to remind us day after day 
for the 10-year, 20-year, 30-year, 40-year, 50-year walk with the Lord that you still don't got this, it's worth it. If the trouble of the day reminds us of what it used to be like before we had Jesus, when we would scramble in a circular room looking for the corner because the world says that's where the answers are. These present troubles are worth that. If these present troubles uniquely qualifies us to speak Jesus to a lost and dying world, it's worth that. When I posted New Year's Eve, don't drink and drive, I've got a story. Let's talk about that. When I say, listen, I survived a drunk driving accident. 50% of us didn't. I've got a story about that. I am uniquely equipped for that story. It's okay. It's all right. If the temporary troubles of this life prepares us and causes us to long for one day heaven, This world is not our home, brothers and sisters. As good as it is, with all that it affords us, heaven's better. And one day, one day we will experience what it's like to be in an environment that is void of sin. And you see, we talk about it and we long for it. We have no idea. Because we've never experienced it. I go to a deprivation tank and I can float in salt water and they tell me that's the closest thing to being in outer space. I've never been in outer space. We talk about heaven. And when we come to church like this, this is a little bit of heaven. But one day, in spite of this present trouble, heaven. Let's wait on the Lord. Why? Waiting makes a world of difference. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you that you waited on us. You say that while we were yet enemies of you, Christ died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, you offered to me hope and salvation that was mine to receive or to reject. Father, we thank you that you wait upon us patiently. And Father, we thank you that in you and by you and for you, we can wait on you. Lord, every single one of us has something or someone that we need to wait with you for. And Lord, waiting is the hardest part. Father, I pray that you would help me to be consistently mindful that your story and my history are not equal. God, you are working on a perspective, Lord, that is more than my feeble mind can comprehend. Lord, do not let me become discouraged. Do not let us become discouraged if our history doesn't seem to be dictating 
your story. Father, let us look at all the times that you have been faithful and trustworthy. And Lord, in light of that testimony, in the lives of others and in our lives, Lord, let us rest in the fact that you will be faithful. Father, help us to wait on you. Your timing is always perfect. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for all that we have. And Father, we thank you even more for all that is yet to be received. One day, heaven. Lord, help us to be your testimony in a world that is hungry and thirsty and groping in the darkness. Father, we love you and we thank you for these things and so much more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.